Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. And started getting into DFS and found out that I 
you know, I could do more of that year round and enjoy both aspects and still do a couple of my season long leagues. So that's great. And uh, when did you discover MFL tens? Uh, like I said, about three and a half years ago, I was on Twitter and I started seeing like uh, Matt Riddle and a couple other people um, that I was following talking about it. And I got in one with by invite from them and did like, I think, 15 my first year um three and a half years ago and then you know just kind of upped it from there i just fell in love with the format i love it it's my favorite thing now yeah well obviously so give us the breakdown you 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 claim to have no you don't claim you have done over 500 over the last three years why don't you give us a year-by-year breakdown on of how many you've done each year and your success rate um, my first year was uh, smaller. It was um, actually four years ago, I guess, three and a half years. I did, um, I think, 12 that first year uh, when I was just kind of getting into it. Then the next year I did um, a little over 70, and then I did a hun- over 100 l- the previous year, and then last year I did uh, oh, like 275, I think it was. And I've been profitable every year. So, Well, that's great. That's better than I can say. Um <clears throat> Last year was not, uh, you know, a profitable one for me, and I did 114. I didn't lose much, but uh, I'm, I'm uh, planning on turning that around this year, and I've got a, a number of steps I'm going to do that. But we're not here to interview me; we're here to interview you. Um, what, what, you know, as far as preparation to do MFL 10. What kind of preparation and study do you personally do and think is most important to really take advantage of this format? Well, I listen, read, you know, fantasy football stuff year-round. For sure be on Twitter. There's so many people that have uh, great info on there um, and links to articles about it, et cetera. Uh, My first year I just kind of searched around to find out whatever I could on the subject. Um, I've been – with uh, football guys and draft sharks and stuff, following them for quite a few years, and um, they've both had some good content on that. Uh, their podcasts talk a lot about um, different aspects of fantasy in general, and so listening to a lot of podcasts, just reading everything I can, um, whether it be Twitter, um, different sites, you know, whatever I can find. I, I just I live it basically. Okay. Do you, uh, do you watch a lot of the NFL games? Do you go back and watch games? Do you think that's an important thing to do? Um, for me, I, I love to watch football, so I watch. I mean, I watch football on Sundays and Thursday nights, etc. But I do not watch film. I'm not a film guy at all. I'm a hundred percent. I I use the information that's out there. There's so many people that are smarter and better at that um, than I whatever know to be or, or want to be. I just, you know, take everything I can in and then put my, my experience, you know, I've a lot of years in fantasy football and a lot of years watching football and a lot of years, you know, doing this stuff. And I, I just kind of take what I have out there, filter it and, and, and come up with my own spin on things. Yeah. I don't think you need to do it. I definitely, it's something I want to do to go back um, and kind of look for players who flashed, um, which kind of mm-hmm. leads me to the, m- my next question. How much do you focus on opportunity that players have, and do you study depth charts in the off season? Um, you know, other than just you know the kind of content that's out there. Listening to that, do you do any kind of things like that? Well, for sure. I I always look at depth depth charts. I look at um, you know openings on teams where there's opportunities. Um, I look at um, where there's, you know, obviously we haven't had the um, off-season trades and, you know, free agent signings yet, but that's a big part of it too, and then where there's opportunity for rookies. So, yeah, you definitely have to keep up with that throughout the year because it's so um, organic. It changes, you know, every week, month, et cetera, and so it's different in February and March, obviously, than it is in July and August. So you have to, like, stay on top of that. Otherwise, you're just at a huge disadvantage. How much do you weigh players that you like versus opportunity? In other words, um, if you've got two guys on the board and you're looking to pick between them, 
if you think one guy's more talented but the other guy has more opportunity, those are the kind of dilemmas that you run into sometimes in MFL pens, uh, not to mention regular fantasy football. Um, how, how do you kind of – do you have any theories that you use on that? For sure. I mean, we all have our own guys, per se. Um, but there's also – there's a lot of aspects that go into it. Um, I do a lot of leagues, so I have to look at, you know, exposure somewhat. I, you know, do I have a ton of this guy and not very much of this guy? What is the um, ADP of each guy and how far have they fallen, et cetera? I try not to reach for people ever if I can. Sometimes I will a, a tiny bit if I don't see anybody else like there. But generally I look for value to fall because when you're doing enough of these, you don't need to reach. You're going to get your guys um, and you're going to um, get exposure to more people because if somebody falls two rounds, Usually that tells you that um, that's a good move to take that person, even if personally he's not my favorite guy. So I look at look at that a lot. Yep. Do you have any special spreadsheets that you use? Um, well, I mean, I keep track of my stuff um, with Draft Sharks has some great stuff on there um, for um, for the MFL ten specifically that he's come up with that. Uh, has all your player exposure. It has your win rates. It, like it has everything on there. Uh, Rotoviz also has a uh, tracker that's super simple and easy to use. That's wonderful to keep track of your um, exposure. And so I've used both of those a couple years ago. I used uh, Mike Barr's um, spreadsheet that he put out. So I've used a couple different things, but probably Rotoviz and uh, Draft Sharks are the two best right now for that. Yeah, I love Rotoviz. I because it's a free app. I mean, I. Mm-hmm. I, I give them. I give. I'm glad to give them their thirty dollars every year. They're, they're they're well worth it. Um, for those of you who haven't ever checked out that website, and Draft Sharks has some really good contact too. I've had Jason Rock Phelps on the show, so they're both great um, great things. And I'm glad you brought them up. Um, do you, do you work with tiers? In other words, you, you use just ADP. I mean, you're doing so many um, MFL 10s. I guess it would be kind of hard to track them off of a spreadsheet. Is you know, so just explain to us, like you know, basically you get a email and you're on the clock. W- what do you do next? Um, yeah, for sure. I actually don't use the. I don't get any of the alerts. I don't use text or email alerts at all. I literally use the um, page on there. That's called my league details and it has where each draft's at and how many times to line pick picks until my turn so i have it all there on one page and i just you know refresh that and go throughout the day um i if i was doing you know 20 30 drafts at a time and had those email notifications that would just kind of get out of hand and and more confusing to me um and then adp wise is the biggest thing i do you do enough of these you just kind of know the adp you know when somebody's fallen you this early on, you're kind of setting ADP, so it's a little bit different. Um, but as you go through the season, because you're doing so many of these, you just know. You just know if somebody's going early, late, or if you know it's a huge bargain, et cetera. So uh, that's yeah. That's I I've I've done my fair share. I've done 87 and 114 the last two yeah. years. So I definitely get that. I like getting the email reminders, and then I'll pop over. And yeah, I don't have any kind of special uh, things uh, in the past that I use, but like you said, you you really get a sense of the value. And you know, after a few a few of these drafts, you're pretty you're pretty good to go. But it's interesting. I wanted to see what your thoughts were. That uh, what do you attribute your success to? Where you've been able to be successful at this every year? Um, just the fact that I put so much time into it, really. I mean, I, I, I read and listen to so much content because I enjoy it. So, I mean, that's, that's my entertainment. I, I listen to podcasts, I read articles, I read Twitter, and then I do all these drafts. So not only am I always thinking about it, you, I think, you know, science has shown if your brain's working on something, when, even when you're not, you know, top of mind normally, your subconscious probably is too. So I've got a lot of I think ideas and, and insights that have just come to me because I've done so much and I've, I'm always kind of thinking about it. Why don't you share with the audience some of your favorite podcasts? Okay. Um, well, I love all the uh, football guy stuff on the couch and the audible. 
Um, Draft Sharks is pretty good. The Four Four Horse stuff for Rotoviz podcast. Um, the uh, Power Hour um, DFS Power Hour podcast is a good one that I started listening to over the last year, year and a half. Um, and then the uh, the new one with uh, Evan Silva and uh, uh, what's his name, Ross. Ross Tucker, Tucker, the Fantasy Feast. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You named a lot of the ones that I listen to as well. Um, I, I really like the road of his ones, and uh, I, I, I think you you put out a really good list. Um, do you have a set strategy that you use, or do you tend to oh. look at each draft as its own entity? Oh, each draft is completely different. You want to have um, you develop. Um, different strategies that you know are will work in MFLs, um, and so there. I mean, there's zero running back. There's um, hyper fragile that he came out with last year. There's, you know, just kind of like balanced early. There's stacking players. It, it just depends on the draft. You had a lot of it come to you. Like if if I start off in an early draft position, say this year, and I get one of the you know main three backs, I'm more likely to go that um, you know three running back hyper fragile type thing. Um, whereas if I have like a later pick and I don't like the running backs there as much and, and good wide receivers follow me, I might go, you know, zero RB or I might go balance. It just kind of depends on the draft. You have to let the draft dictate what you're doing. So you would say that the value when you pick each time is one of the most important things you consider. Do you also look at what you think might be available the next pick or two in helping you to make a pick? I do look at that. Yes, it's it's harder for me because I do so many. Um, it would take a lot of time to kind of look at everybody's teams and see what's you know what they need, et cetera. But I I can look at you know who's available and what my team's needs are and be like, okay, well there's X number of quarterbacks available, but only these two running backs that I you know would really consider taking in the next two rounds. So I'll, I'll take this guy first. You know, it, you you kind of look at it that way as opposed to um, studying all the teams and, and saying, okay, who do they need, who do I need? You just kind of know the ADP, know your team's needs, and see what you think will be available and, and go that way. When you do a lot of these drafts, obviously you see a lot of the same people in these drafts. There's a lot of very smart people. How much time do you spend looking at who's in the draft with you, and do you track some of the favorite players of other people? Um, I don't really. I, I look and see who's in the draft to me, just just to see you know the other names out there. Um, sometimes I know some people have certain tendencies, and I'll, I'll look at that just a little bit. But I don't spend hardly any time or thought on it other than that, because I do so many of them. Every draft is completely different. Even if you have you know five of the same people in in two drafts, the other people are completely different. So it's you know it's it's not going to be the same by any means. So. Um, I don't look too much at that. I just kind of look for values, um, you know, follow my process and see where the draft takes me. Awesome. One of the things that I've, you know, seen a lot of is, you know, when, you, you know, we both listen to podcasts where experts break down, you know, the ideal scenario of how many of each position you should draft. Do you have a set, way that you like to draft or depending on how the draft goes, do you sometimes end up with more of one position or another? That's exactly it. It depends on how the draft goes. I mean, if, if I start off, like I said, with the, um, say David Johnson, um, you know, and then two more running backs in the next three or four rounds, I'll probably try the hyper route because I know that if you have one of those stud running backs and another one, that's pretty good that's a really strong strategy. If I don't, you know, I have a later pick and I don't get any of the good running backs and I don't feel comfortable with the next ones and I start off with wide receivers, then I'll, um, you know, hit that up, especially early on in the season and do the wide receivers early that are safer and then hit on some of like the rookie running backs or the free agents or the, the guys you think, you know, will be of value. It just depends on the, on the draft. But um, I never pin myself into a certain lineup other than I'm not going to, you know, do like, one quarterback or one defense or four defenses or four quarterbacks or, you know, 10 running backs or something weird like that. It's usually going to be two to three quarterbacks, four to six or seven running backs, depending on the strategy, uh, six to 10 wide receivers, two to three tight ends, two to three defense. So, In a normal draft where you're not doing a specialized strategy like hyper-fragile or zero running back, 
Do you tend to like to go two quarterbacks or three quarterbacks? And do you tend to wait for both of your quarterbacks? Or, you know, what percentage of the time are you drafting a quarterback in the first eight or nine rounds? Um, especially this year, after I did my research um, in the offseason, I had an article, and we both are on ffcouchcoach.com. Um, I found out that in all the leagues I was in, all the teams that were scoring um, the average or above that's likely to win a league, which is 2,400-plus, um, like 70% of the time they had taken their first quarterback in the first nine rounds. So I'm a big believer in first nine or ten rounds. I mean, there's quarterback, especially earlier on right now, quarterbacks fall a little bit later because you have a lot more sharps, a lot more people that are, you know, used to this. Um, later on in the season, quarterbacks start going earlier. But you want to get one of those guys that you know is going to be a good producer that um, tends to put up um, seven or more historical, like, top 12 weeks because those guys that produce those are better in best ball. So you don't want to, you know, go for a bunch of those just steady guys. You want kind of the more um, uh, boom-bust guys, but that tend to put up those bigger weeks. Um, So I always like to get one early and then one late, or if I don't get one until late, um, I'll get three of them then. So, One of the most boring parts of an MFL 10 is taking defenses. Uh, how do you what, – what is your main strategy on defenses? Um, I'll, generally, I'm shooting for three defenses um, later on in the draft. Um, but unlike some people, I do believe that two defenses especially – you can't – predict defenses per se, but there's some that you know are better than others. I mean, no offense, the Chiefs have been good the last couple of years. The Cardinals have been good the last couple of years. You know they're going to finish in the top half at least. Um, so I don't have a problem taking um, a good defense in round, you know, if I see them there in round 15, 16, and then taking some of my last shots and wide receivers or whatever in the last couple of rounds. Because to me, very rarely is there a difference um, in, like, the wide receiver shots, especially that you take in rounds – 15 through 20, there's there's always going to be some guys there to take shots on, especially more so early on in the, the year, I think. But running backs definitely I almost never take in rounds like 16 to 20. Yeah, I uh, I, I agree with that. Uh, what, what I try and do with defenses is I'll study the defenses. I never want to be the guy who's taking one of the best three defenses from the year before because they, sure, sure. they tend to be gone by – round 15. I will take a, a defense in round 15, 16. Two years ago, I was big on the Broncos, and if they were there in the 15th round, where they often were, I, I would snag them as long as it made sense for the particular draft I was in um, mm-hmm. last year. And, and I, don't, I, you know, I don't mind having more exposure either. Last year, it was the Vikings for me in 15 and 16. And then I typically try and find one defense that I think is everyone's missing the boat on that you can pick up in the 20th round. And unlike some of my other exposures, I don't mind having, you know, 40, 45% on a defense. Last year, it was the Falcons for me. You could get them in the 20th round in almost every draft, late 19th, early 20th. I think it's important to try and not – look at who was the best defense this year, but what defenses flashed the year before and have room to grow. What do you think about that? I agree with you 100%. I think you've got to um, try and play that game. Um, I think the Falcons are a good example of a team that's on the up and coming. Um, The Giants are going a lot earlier this year, but I liked them um, late last year. Uh, It just kind of depends. Like like you said, defenses are really hard to read because there's so much turnover on a lot of them. So if you see defenses that were good and aren't having a lot of turnover, defenses that tend to have good pass rush and good uh, return games, special teams, those are I focus on. And then I also focus on defenses for teams that are high scoring because if you're on a uh, team like Green Bay or Pittsburgh or that type of thing, you're more likely to score points on defense uh, touchdown-wise because – people are trying to come back against you. So focus on the uh, aggressive defenses, the ones that um, have less turnover, and especially, um, you know, good offenses. But, I mean, New England's always good on defense because of Belichick, but also because they have always have a good offense. So people are trying to play catch-up. That gives the defense more opportunities. Yep, that's a great way to get turnovers, and we all know nothing's better than seeing a pick six when you have a defense. 
Um, the other thing I'll add to that, that was a great point that I really hadn't thought of too much, which I probably should have, um, and then we'll move on from defense. But the other thing about mm-hmm. defense is I will look at the coordinators. I think team, people tend to look at the offensive coordinators, but if you find a defensive coordinator who plays an aggressive style and he moves from one place to another, and that's how I kind of locked in on Wade Phillips, and Denver two sure. years ago, I just thought that with the talent they had and him as defensive coordinator, there was a lot of room for growth. So I'll throw that into the defensive um, thought processes out there for everyone. You kind of touched on my next question a little bit, um, you know, about the popular strategies out there like zero running back and hyper fragile. Um, but the angle that I would like you to talk about is every, not only is every draft different, but every year is different. My first year, two years ago, everybody was really high on taking a ton of running backs first, myself included. Um, last year, because of all the dearth of, uh, you know, how bad the running backs were the year before, wide receivers were all the rage early, and I decided to go with a more balanced strategy. What are what are your thoughts on this year as it relates to where you think the overreaction might be based on what happened last year? Oh, for sure. You're already seeing it. Um, people are drafting running backs much earlier again, not to the extent they did two years ago, but it's, it's definitely noticeable. And um, there's a little bit more uncertainty at the running back position in the mid to late rounds as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a little bit, um, you know, more – pronounced um, uh, wanting to take some of those early round backs. Uh, the other thing is, the, one of the other things that I noticed when I did my research is that even in the year of the wide receiver as it was when we had the running back, you know, death and zero run, RB was the way to go. Um, when I looked at all the leagues I was in, the still the highest percentage of winning teams either had hit on a running back early or started off with, um, you know, either a first round running back or like three in the first five rounds and they did like a balanced strategy. I mean, there was definitely more wide receiver teams viable, but that was the only year where I saw the wide receiver teams even in the like yellow per se, as opposed to like green or red. So I still think hitting on those running backs is really important to me. Running back is the most important position in MFL 10. If you have one of the uh, top five running backs or so by the end of the year, you're in a good position to win your league as long as the rest of your draft isn't trash. Well, and that and that's my follow-up question from the last one on these strategies. Um, I think I think strategies are grand, but execution is crucial. And the value of a system versus the value of the player you're looking at, and you've kind of alluded to that a little bit too. So we definitely, I think, think the same way. It's more important to get the right guy than to fit into the right system. Correct. Well, sure. Awesome. All right. So um, you kind of hit on the Rotoviz Best Ball app and the Draft Sharks. Um, Anyone listening, I highly recommend if you're going to do volume in MFL 10s that you use one of those tools. Um, How much do you look at exposures? And do you have limits as it relates to, you know, you might like a guy a, a tremendous amount, but what's kind of the maximum that you want of any player, and does it change depending on what part of the draft you're able to get that player? Meaning, you know, I have different exposures based on, you know, I'm willing to take more exposure on a guy late in the draft than early. Uh, Why don't you share your thoughts with everyone on how you do that? That's exactly it. I mean, you you look at the um, exposure you have based on draft uh, value differently. So, I mean, guys in the first three rounds, I don't more than 25%-ish, maybe 30 if I'm super stoked on them. But um, when you get, you know, into later rounds, I have no problem doing 50% on a guy in like rounds 15 to 20, whether it be a defense or a receiver or whatever, because there's a lot less um, draft value put up into that, that pick. Um, but also uh, it, it's just, it's hard because you, you want to pick your guys, but you find out, I guess the biggest thing I can share is that you find out when you do more of these, if you're doing volume, 
you're you're going to naturally diversify because if you're just going for value, if you're not reaching for players, you're going to get your guys and you're also going to naturally diversify. So, I mean, doing, you know, almost 300 last year or whatever it was that I did, I I had no problem being, you know, 20 to 25% on any of the first three-round guys. And I was well over 40% on some of the guys that I got later, like Ted Ginn and some of those guys. Um, so it just de- depends on, you know, how many you're doing. You don't have to worry about it if you're only doing 10, but if you're doing, you know, 100 or more, you definitely are going to want to diversify, but you naturally kind of do. Well, it's interesting because I have two theories on this. First of all, you hit my number. I really don't want to be over 20 25% on first three round guys simply because the NFL is a game of injuries, and I've always gone by the theory mm-hmm. that you just don't want to hurt yourself early in drafts. And you want to stay competitive, and then you want to, you know, win with the rest. And you might have this guy who you think is going to have, you know, like I I know people who were screaming how much they love Gronk, and I don't mind having 50% Gronk last year. And then Gronk gets hurt, and now, you know, your MFL 10s are kind of a dumpster fire. Um, So I, I, I do think that it's important to limit your exposure early, um, you kind of hit on the same percentages that I feel. And then as the draft goes on, I slowly wind it up. And uh, so that's good. Uh, I think that that's helpful to anyone who's going to do a lot of these. Um, yeah. How has your success varied based on when you pick in drafts? This is something we don't hear much about, but have you tracked how well you do when you draft early in drafts? Um, the middle of the round or late in, in, in the round of round that one? Completely, that, that completely varies based on year and draft itself. Uh, I just do, do want to say something about the last topic. Um, don't worry too much about, you know, splitting out so you have this share of this guy and this share of this guy. You, I mean, if you have guys that you like, you want to get your ownership on them. Don't be afraid to do that. Like, you need to be aggressive in these to some extent because it's all about winning. It's not about finishing third or fourth or fifth or whatever. You want to win. So you want to take some chances. Yep, and that's one thing that I you reminded me of my second point, which I didn't mention, which is never take a guy – that you don't like when someone you do like is in, on the board just for exposure. Because you'll, if you're playing enough of these, you'll always have the opportunity to level out somewhere else when you don't have the opportunity. You know, where I, where I use exposure is if I like a couple guys about the same and I've got more of one than the other, I'll take the guy that I have less of. Mm-hmm. And I look at upside, too. I mean, which guy has a potential to have a bigger season? Like a, somebody – like um, you have two running backs that are like middle rounds right now. Like you have a Rob Kelly or a CJ Procise who has a chance to have a bigger season, probably Procise. So Absolutely. because of the pass catching and the different stuff. So I'm going to be way more bullish on him than I would be on somebody like Rob Kelly who doesn't catch passes and probably won't be a feature type back. So it, you and, just got to, you know, pick your battles. And, and, and Procise is more likely to get eaten by Rob Kelly. <laughs> this is true too. Fat Rob could eat him. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So, um, yeah, I agree. It's hard to tell, but this year it seems more than any other. I mean, last year too. I hated getting late. You know, late. Yeah, last year picks. definitely benefited being early. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think this year it's even more. Um, from what I'm seeing now, once you get past the top eight, there's like you fall off a cliff as far as security. And um, when you, yeah, when like you, you think said, you've got a bad draft position, do you do anything different? Do you Are you more likely to reach on a guy you like when you start late because you feel like you're at a disadvantage, or do you just let the board still play? Um, I will let the board still play to some extent, but I will value running backs over wide receivers early just because of the, you know, the, the, the more sureness per se. But like you said, it's the NFL. It's the injury league. There's, you, you, we could think right now that you want the top picks this year, but then your top three running backs could all go down, and then all of a sudden that's a terrible pick to have this year. And, you know, you don't, we don't know that yet. Right now, if those guys stay healthy, um, sure, great pick. They'll probably 
outperform everybody else and you'll kill it. But if those guys get injured, which is very likely with the NFL, you could regret having, you know, that early round pick. So it's like I said, I believe in, you know, getting a, a hit on a running back is a, is a big thing, kind of like Freeman two years ago and, you know, DJ last year and that type of stuff. So there's, there's definitely opportunities for that in the middle and, and middle rounds. And like I said, like, I guess six through 12, 13, at the most, there's, it's really hard to hit on a late running back. It happens, you know, like D'Angelo a couple of years ago or Jordan Howard last year, but it's not nearly as often as you can hit on a late round wide receiver um, or, you know, that type of thing. I, I agree 100%. And I, you know, I, I tend to um, – one of the things that I think that I didn't do enough of the last couple of years you know, I look at a guy like Jordan Reed, who, you know, you talked about Freeman and how much he affected, you know, drafts. Well, two years ago, if you were drafting Jordan Reed in the 13th, 14th round and you had 30, 40 percent, you were going to be looking pretty good in those MFL 10s. Uh, but in general, was there anything that you did last year that you say, boy, I really didn't like that part of my game and I'm, I'm going to adapt and change in 2017? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, I I did. I've I've always been a proponent of running back early, and that being the most important part. Um, and last year, I still did that, um, but not nearly as much as I had, you know, kind of thought before because of the whole, you know, wide receiver, running back situation the year before. So I did more like zero running back and wide receiver heavy. Um, Try, trials last year, and while I did okay with a couple of those, in general, I still found out that you know if you get those running backs and they're more likely to hit early, you're more successful. You're more likely to score more points. So I'm gonna pin myself more towards doing that this year again. Um, even though I'll still try some of the zero uh, RB and some of the you know those types of strategies, I, I'm I'm still gonna value the early running back and the uh, running back in general more than I do the wide receivers in the other positions because they seem to make the most difference in these things. When it comes to volume, and now I'm going to be talking more seasonally, like I've never done drafts this early in the past, but I, so one, uh, someone convinced me that, you know, if you're smart, you have just as much of an edge now as you do in other times. But mm-hmm. if you're going to do, let's say, 300 this year, how does your volume break out between pre-free agency you know, the time period we have now, post-free agency, the draft, you know, camp, late in the season. Is there one time that you found that you enjoy doing more or less of, or do you just kind of do a steady flow throughout the season? I pretty much do a steady flow, but the way I approach them is different. Um, I mean, early on, I don't want to reach it all for, like, my guys. I want to see where the ADB falls and, um, you know, kind of let it develop naturally and then see where I perceive as values, even if I don't, you know, care for that player much, I, I still recognize the value. So early on, when the ADP is setting, it's completely different than it is, like, later on. You know, obviously you did a bunch last year, and as you know, the more of these you do, the more you just know the ADP. And it adjusts when things happen, you know, like a Josh Gordon coming back or different things like that. But it's, uh, it's important to um, treat each section a little bit differently, I think. Early on, especially, you don't want to reach for your guys. You want to see where the ADP actually is and then be like, oh, wow, that guy's a huge value. I'm going to be able to take advantage of this for a while. Yep, I, I, I agree. I mean, this is the first time I'm doing four right now. I've never done them this early. But just like one guy that's just jumping out at me is Cam Newton. You know, I'm finding him going eighth, ninth round. And, you know, if if Cam Newton's in the eighth or ninth round, I'm going to take him. I, I don't care. You know, I'll, I'll worry about uh, I'll worry about uh, exposure later. Uh, I you know mm-hmm. I just think early now there are certain guys who are going to be just screaming values with a tremendous amount of upside and not much downside. Uh, but where do you tend to? Um, you know, what are your early takeaways on this year's MFL 10s? Well, I mean, I like I said, I, the running backs are going a little bit earlier than they did last year, obviously. The um, 
uh, rookies overall are kind of like they have been in years past, where they're probably going to be values and probably move up after the draft, with the exception of Cook and Fournette, I think, are going way too early. I mean, in the third round consistently. That's just too early for me on those guys. Zeke was like perfect storm last year, and he's one of the few exceptions for me as a rookie that I would take that early. But that was in the fourth or fifth round, and he landed in the perfect situation, so he moved up to the first. People are remembering that, so they're overdrafting those guys. But as for that, other rookies, I'm liking them. They're falling, uh, you know, McCaffrey to the seventh, eighth, you know, Nixon to the you know ninth, tenth, eleventh, and a lot of the like later wide receivers. Um, I'm I'm gonna play with a couple of the rookie tight ends, but probably not very many at all, just because rookie tra- tight ends traditionally just don't do well in fantasy. There's so much to learn at that position in the NFL, so. Another area of value that I'm finding in early MFL 10s is guys who are going to be free agents, but we don't know where they're going to land. Obviously, they're a little more risky, Mm -hmm. but what are your thoughts as it relates to that opportunity and some of the guys who maybe are jumping out at you that are just going way too late? Oh, man, every year there's values for free agents, people coming back from injury, and older guys that people think have had it. So, you know, I've been on both sides of those, but in general you want to look for those because a lot of times that's a great place to find value. Free agents, you have um, Brandon Marshall, Pierre Garçon, Kenny Britt, Deshaun Jackson, Kenny Stills, you know, like all those guys are, you know, undervalued right now because nobody knows where they're going to land. Um, And then you've got uh, injury people coming back, Forte, Riddick, Vereen, Woodhead, Decker, Lockett, Zach Miller, I mean, these guys you can get um, way less than you would have been able to last year, and they're still the same player as long as they come back from that injury. you got to watch out. You're going to get burned sometimes, so it's more uh, worrisome to take that early pick on an injury guy like Jamal Charles last year, who was a first, second-round pick, second-round pick mainly, um, than it is to take a shot on, like, this year, Decker in the seventh or eighth round or Lockett in the tenth. So, yeah, keep that kind of stuff in mind for sure. Yeah, I last you know to me, and this is not a hard and fast rule, but if I feel like a guy's talent, like last year Jordy Nelson, I thought his talent was mid to late second round, and that's where he was going. But he was coming off a serious knee injury, so I mm-hmm. didn't take Jordy Nelson because I'm looking for a one to two round value. For the injury, and if I'm not getting it, I'm going to pass on that guy. And I ended, I just didn't feel like, at least again, this is after the draft, it's a lot different. I felt like mm-hmm. the guys who were injured, guys like Deion Lewis, were going third and fourth round. And I pretty much avoided all the injury guys last year. And the only one that kind of bit me was Jordy Nelson, but I avoided so many landmines. Um, do you, you know, for, again, for me, it's like about a two-round uh, difference. If I think a guy's a sixth-round guy and he's in the eighth round because he's injured, I'll take him. But if he's in the sixth, seventh round, why am I going to take that risk? I'd like to know your thoughts on that and if your strategy as it relates to injured players is any different. Um, it's similar. Like last year, I, I'm a, I live in Kansas City. I love Jamal Charles. He's phenomenal. Um but I, you know, from hearing stuff, I wasn't sure about him, and I valued him as like a, you know, early second round guy last year. So I had very, very little exposure to him because I didn't think he was worth a chance. It was worth a chance on him. Jordy, early on in the season, I was on heavy, um, and then I kind of got talked off of it a little bit from the stuff I listened to, and just kind of being more risk averse on that. So I did miss out on him throughout the season. Um, but I got some exposure to him. But, yeah, like kind of like you, I look at a guy and be like, oh, I like him in the third round. He's going in the freaking fifth or sixth. Boom, I'm all about it. So it just depends on a, a person-to-person basis, and there's obviously more um, more risk, um, risk uh, what do you call it, risk <laughs> more risk reward. tolerance, risk tolerance um, or risk-reward um, later on in the draft. So if it's a guy that is in the 10th, 12th round, way more likely to take a shot on him than I am somebody in the, you know, second, third round. Yeah, I I, I felt like, um, again, I had very little Jamal Charles, very little Deion Lewis. And last year, most of the injured guys got re-injured and didn't do well. 
so I think that will I think we're going to find a lot more value in the injured guys and you're already seeing it even though we don't know what team he's on Adrian Peterson going in the 7th 8th round um you know Jamal Charles going 10th round 9th round uh I I think based on the fact that so many injured guys last year didn't perform and and didn't see the field I think that I am going to see the value that I didn't see last year. Yeah, especially like Charles going in. I think he's going in like the ninth to tenth round right now. And he's the type of player that even if he lands on a team as like a third down, scat back, whatever, he can provide those big boom games that you want in MFL 10s. He can, you know, put up 20, 30 fantasy points in a game just because he's that type of player. So, yeah, there's definitely values out there. Um, Gosh, I, I have to tell you, my favorite is probably John Brown. I That guy was amazing a couple seasons ago. He was injured most of the year last year with the uh, stem cell stuff. And if he comes back healthy with the opportunity he's going to have there, I I, I think he's going to way outdo his uh, current position at, like just after the 10th round. So, Yeah, he's been going, again, I've been dealing, uh, drafting mostly with experts so far. And he's going, I think, more like in the, you know, I'm never finding him by the time I would draft him. Um, But, yeah, he's a guy that I like a lot for a bounce back also. And he is the perfect best ball back, you know, uh, wide receiver. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the type of wide receivers that you like for best ball. You know, those guys who are going to have that big game. And it's, you know, you don't have to choose to start him or not start him. A guy like Kenny Stills could drive you crazy in a, in a regular fantasy football league where you've got to pick which weeks he's going to go off. But in a best ball mm-hmm. league, he's ideal. But, you know, over the course of all your wide receivers, if you're drafting six or seven, how many do you like to be, you know, best ball type wide receivers, you know, boom or bust? And how many do you like to be guys that you can count on? Um, well, it just depends on the you know where you're drafting that too. Like if it's early rounds, you want to they should both be guys you can count on and guys that have that boom potential. Um, but when you come to like round six, seven, eight, and after, pretty much, I'm always looking for the the high upside boom guys. I don't. I'm, I'm last year I was big on Jameson Crowder in like the 19th, 20th round, and I had a ton of him because that was just to me a, a great value. But um, in general, I go for the boom guys over the knot. Ted Ginn was way undervalued last year. I thought I kept getting him in the 16th, 17th round consistently, and he for sure gave a lot of my teams, you know, four or five big weeks. Um, those are the types of guys when you have seven, eight, nine wide receivers, they you know they give you that 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 opportunity to, you know, equal wide receiver one or two consistently. It's another reason that I think, you know, getting the early running backs that are consistent um, and then getting, you know, a number of wide receivers is one of the better strategies. Yep. Uh, Only a couple questions left. This has been great and uh, very informative. Um, Are there any players that you're seeing this year where you say to yourself, man, I mean, you mentioned Fournette and Cook. And, you know, obviously with Cook having some weak spark scores, uh, I think his you're going to see him fall back into the fifth, sixth round here pretty quick in MFL 10s. But out of the veterans, are there any guys that you're seeing go um, way earlier than you would expect them to go? Or way um, earlier than you would take them? Yeah, I mean, Amari Cooper's ADP right now is 2.03. I I don't get that at all. I mean, he's a great talent, great receiver, but he's been the wide receiver too on that team for the last two years. Crabtrees, you can get in the, the fourth, maybe fifth round in this, and I'd much rather have him at that value. Um, who knows, Cooper could boom this year, but I'm not spending that kind of draft capital on him. Um, Tevin Coleman's going a little high for my leg. He's going at the end of the fourth round. I think that's too high. Um, Kelvin Benjamin's 501. Uh, not paying that for him. Adrian Peterson, actually, you had mentioned. I was thinking the same thing earlier on, but then I looked. His ADP right now is actually 512, so basically the end of the fifth, start of the sixth. Um, he's moved up just, a lot. Yeah, he's moved up a bunch. And then, like, Latavius Murray doesn't have a home. I don't know if he'll have a home as a starter at all, and he's, like, uh, sixth round back, too. So I don't I don't like any of those guys. 
Yeah, um, I, you you mentioned pretty much the guys that I don't like so far too, and and I'm gonna you know at their current ADP, I'm just not taking either of the Atlanta backs because they're both there. The offense, everything went right last year, and now mm-hmm. uh, Kyle Shanahan's gone. I think that whole offense could have regression, and I just I can't you know I love Devonta Freeman, but I can't I can't spend the first round pick on a guy who's got another guy there. You know, I had both of them in my big money FFPC league this year, and it was really a pain in the neck to decide who was going to start a lot of those weeks. And yeah, yeah this is ball. No, I know, but even still, a first round pick for a guy who splits the job, even if it's sixty forty, and you, you got an offense that might regress. That's a tough one for me. I think Melvin Gordon is also a real tough one for me in the first round. I mean, obviously he had a great year, but uh, Danny Woodhead could come back or they're going to get another running back there. I just don't see mm-hmm. him getting the volume. And, uh, you know, and his, and his, I, I think he could easily have some TD regression as well. Um, you know, it just seemed like they, the, the, it was just an inordinate amount of touches in, in that red zone. So those are guys on my end that I'm finding are going too early. I like Hunter Henry. I think he's a great player, but I saw him go in the sixth round too early. After. Too early. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that that's another guy that um, you know, and and Delaney Walker is going in the eighth, ninth round, and Hunter Henry's going ahead of him. I'm sorry, it's not like Antonio Gates is completely gone, and they've got a lot of other weapons there. So th- that's another yep. one that jumped out for me. Um, I'm with you on that for sure. Um, I am. I'm on a. Freeman, though, I, I mean, I'll, I'll take him at the end of the first or the second consistently. I just think he's, he's, he's proved it to me. Like, after that big year, he came back and finished as an RB1 again, and um, he is just a good back. And um, I don't think they'll regress that much, um, but I, he's one, to me, he's one of the, the better, safer backs in best ball because he's going to have those big weeks. He catches passes. He, yeah, he's involved, even if there is Coleman there. I, I, I'll take him there. Well, and, you know, that, that's an interesting thought, and it's not exactly like there's some other guys that I like that much more. You know, I think, that the, the, I think that the end of the first round, once you get past the eight, eight guys, is, is pretty much a minefield. You know, I mm-hmm. got, there's a lot of guys from who are going to get picked from 1-9 through 2-5 that, that I've kind of got, you know, mid to second round grades on. So all the more, I feel like it's a double hit. Um, you know, when you draft late in a draft, you know, the theory is you're going to make up the difference with your second round pick that you lose with your first. And I'm just not seeing it right now. I'm seeing just as many guys at the end of round two that I like as the beginning. Um, I'm just not seeing, you know, like you're not going to make up the difference from Ezekiel Elliott to Devonta Freeman with your second round pick versus who's available at the end of the round, I don't think. Yeah, um, and a little bit here I'll, before we go. I'll list off where the ADP is at for like that little section you're talking about, so people can see. But yeah, it's it's definitely a, a minefield, like you said. What are some yep. of the guys that you that are you think are going too late that you like? I mean, I like Eric Decker going in the seventh round. I love that. Uh, Tyrell Williams in the seventh round. Deshaun Jackson in the eighth round. I think that's crazy. Uh, Willie Sneed in the ninth round. Kenny Britt in the ninth round. Um, like I said, John Brown in the 10th round and Brandon Marshall in the, like the, the sixth round, I think um, has a really good opportunity to land in a good spot and still, still do something. Yeah. I, I don't have the hesitancy on Benjamin as much as you did in the fifth. Um, I can see it. Um, but um, I mean, Pierre Garçon, I'm grabbing him in the 13th round right now. Oh yeah. Because, because he doesn't have a job. Today. I mean, that, I yeah. mean, that, that, that's one that's just, uh, a bit mind-boggling to me. Uh, let's see. I'll, I'll look through. Uh, Willie Sneed, as you mentioned, was a guy mm-hmm. who was going, um, you know, way too late. Um, so, you know, those are a couple guys that I think are going too late. I think Devontae Adams is possibly going a little too early. You know, he, he had an yeah, amazing year. Uh, you know, he had an amazing year and, and uh, but you know when you take him in the third round, that's 
you know, you're really you're really hoping that it's uh, it's something that uh, is going to last. And I, I, I just, yeah. he he gives me a little bit of the heebie-jeebies at that point. Another guy I think is going a little too late is Theo Riddick. You know, uh, oh, once you get past. Agree. Once you get past those first couple rounds, running back, it's like, you know, it's like, all right, let's flip a coin. There's so many guys whose situation, you mentioned Latavius Murray. I mean, he's a guy I would, you know, I, I see smart people taken in the fifth, sixth round, and I'm just like, eh, nah. And um, another one that I think's going a little too late is Zach Ertz. I think that people still have in their head that he's this inconsistent guy, and I'm seeing him going after a couple other tight ends that I I, I like a lot. And I think Will Fuller is going to be a, is a really really interesting guy where he's going now. I mean he's he is the perfect best ball back uh, wide receiver. He had a real good start to the year and and he got injured and then he had issues with um, quarterback play. If Tony Romo ends up there or they can get that, you know. I I I like mm-hmm. uh, Will Fuller. What are your thoughts on Fuller? Um, I've actually been taking him quite a bit in like the 13th to 15th rounds. I, I like him as a best ball guy for sure. Um, some of the other things I like doing later on is is taking those pairs of guys that are wide receivers on good teams or good uh, passing offenses, or even if they have a bad quarterback. Like I mean, Jacksonville, you know passes a ton, even if it's not efficient. Hearns was hurt a lot, a lot last year, and Lee kind of came back. So I kind of like getting Leanne Hearns. I like getting um, Brown in the 10th and, like, J.J. Nelson in the 15th or 16th. Um, Malcolm Mitchell and Chris Hogan from the, you know, Patriots. When you pair those guys later on, you're you're going to likely hit on one of them. That that was a big part of my thing last year is I got a lot of Garcon and Crowder, a lot of uh, Steve Smith and Mike Wallace, you know, pairing those high volume or good quarterback um, receivers um, late rounds is, is, I think, a really good strategy in this as well. Yeah, and uh, the last thing uh, we'll talk about before we go is because uh, we're heading to the hour mark. Because I'm a small pot, I don't really care if I'm past the mm-hmm. magic 45-minute mark and hopefully people have stuck with us. But one guy I took at 111 in one draft, uh, just because I couldn't find anyone else I liked. Uh, I passed on Freeman and Gordon and Gurley, and uh, I could have taken Hilton, but I think that he's scaring me a little bit. I think that offense is going to change a little bit, and he had his best year. I took Michael Thomas, and, I mean, he's a guy who was, as a rookie, I think the seventh the race best wide receiver. They're talking mm-hmm. about trading Brandon Cooks. I mean, he's a guy that I don't mind loading up on. You know, I found him again at like two five, two six. Uh, he's a guy I'm very high on. What are your thoughts on Michael Thomas for this year? Yeah, I've got a fair amount of him too. Um, I really like him in the second round. If there's not a running back there, I, I like. Um, end of the first round, I could see that's that's you know kind of looking maybe at a ceiling, but maybe he's got a higher ceiling than that. I'm not sure. He's got a phenomenal quarterback and a you know great offense, and especially if Cook gets traded, that would probably only add uh, value and volume to him. So I, I can't you know fault that there, other than he has just as many uh, positives and questions as, like you said, T.Y. Holton or any of the others. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I like him a ton. I just felt like, you know, I knew it was a reach. And I was in with a bunch of experts, and I'm thinking to myself, boy, mm-hmm. they must think I'm an idiot. But, you know, I, 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 that was the other big thing, and I, I wish we had more time to go into this. But, you know, uh, you know, not throwing out the baby with the bathwater is, you know, when you're on Twitter and you're listening to other people's opinion, it's a constant mm-hmm. push and pull, you know, to not let someone really move you off of someone you like. And to and to get you to draft someone that you don't like, um, that that's one of my big takeaways that I'm I, I, I look to improve in year two, and I'm going to look to improve even in more, more in year three. Seth, I really enjoyed this. Hopefully, the people who listened to it enjoyed it as well. Why don't you tell people where they can find you? You mentioned uh, a website you write for, and of course on Twitter. Why don't you let the people know where they can find you? 
Yeah, I, and I appreciate you having me on. I really enjoyed this. I love talking fantasy football and, and the Feltons especially. So I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, and you can find me at Seth, FFL, on Twitter and uh, FFCouchCoach.com. I've got uh, my articles up on there, mostly all having to deal with NFL 10 and best ball right now. Uh, maybe do some other stuff later, but that's really, you know, my passion and uh, maybe some DFS stuff this year. We'll see. Well, if you ever want to come back on, just let me know. Shoot me a, you know, that's the great thing about having a small pod. I can, you know, if you have a, something you feel passionate about and you want to come on, let me know. Um, I've had some pretty big people in the industry on the pod. I hope to continue to get them. But I enjoy interviewing the little guy, the guy who's never gotten to do a pod before. So if you ever listen to one of my pods and you think that you have something to say and you'd like to say it, feel free to contact me and run the idea by me. I would enjoy having um, just about anybody on who has a passion for fantasy football. It's the games that we play. And that will be the song that I'll lead us out with tonight. Games People Play by the Alan Parsons Project. Thanks to everyone who listened. And Seth, thank you again. Have a good night. Thanks, Todd.